if you want to, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. So, um, uh, in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, there's, there's this thing that happens. Go ahead and put that first verse up there. Uh, in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour. And what it says is he began a tour of, of all of the cities in that, in that area. And he takes his disciples with him. He takes some others with him. But, but really what you see is Jesus goes on tour. And, and almost like a, a Luke sermon on the plane where he just drops bombshell after bombshell after bombshell with no apparent order or, or, or alignment, that exact same ha- thing happens. If you've been reading along in our reading guide, you know this week we're going to do chapter 8 through uh, verse 17 of chapter chapter 9, and, and what you see is just uh, teaching and then uh, event or miracle, or and really that's what's happening. Jesus is going on tour, and so I want to kind of walk through the, the different events that happen uh, in chapter 8 and, and the beginning of chapter 9, and then we're going to spend some time talking about how uh, one of the ways they're, they're, they're synced up. So it begins in chapter 8. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. And then he begins with a parable of farmers scattering seed. We've talked about this teaching before. We spent a lot of time on it previously. But more than likely, Jesus used the things of life, the, the things around them to, to do a teaching. And so more than likely, crowds were gathered around Jesus, and Jesus said, well, you know, the kingdom of God is, you see that guy over there? Putting seed on, on his field. The kingdom of God is kind of like that. And guys, do you remember this parable, this teaching? The seed is God's word, and, and the seed falls in all these different places. It falls on the path, and some falls on shallow ground, and some falls on the thorns. But the seed, the God's word that falls on the fertile ground, produces a harvest of how much? You remember? A hundred times what's sowed. I said, you know, the, the, the kingdom of God is kind of like that. And then he goes on and he tells a story. Uh, he uses a parable of a lamp. And he says, you know, no one lights a lamp and covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. And then Jesus says this really peculiar thing. He says, you know, everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known. And I wrote in my Bible, as soon as I read that, I wrote the words, I hope not. Right? And it's tied to that, that story about the seeds. And in the very next verse, he, uh, in the same parable of the lamp, he says, so pay attention how you hear. It, it's kind of like asking the question, what kind of soil are you? Are, are you really being receptive to these seeds of, of God's word that are being scattered out there? Are, are you really listening? And, and it's even tied to the very next verse where it, it says that Jesus' mother and his brothers, it's weird for me to think of that. Jesus said brothers and, and probably sisters too. We know the names of his brothers at least. But his mothers and brothers show up at the door of the house where Jesus is teaching. And someone says, hey, your family's here. You need to go see him. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says this great word. He, he says, my brother and my mother, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and what? Do you remember what he says? Obey. So this is still that kind of, what kind of soil are you? Are you really being receptive? Are, are, you, are you really hearing? Or, or are you like a, a person that, that uh, lights a lamp and hides it under a bowl? Like you can't do that. Like it doesn't work that way. 
If you're really receiving this, it's going to be visible, right? It's going to be visible to others. And then Jesus, like this is Luke, he's just Jesus on tour. He's going to go from one thing to the next thing. So Jesus decides, hey, next, let's go across the Sea of Galilee. And what happens when they're in the boat? So the Sea of Galilee is perfectly situated. It's actually below sea level. It's, it's perfectly situated between two mountain ranges. And storms start high up in the mountains, and they roll down, and they roll down, and they roll down, and they hit almost without warning the Sea of Galilee, even today. And a calm lake can become very, very turbulent. And while they're going across the sea, where is Jesus? It says he's taking a nap. Now, I had to eat some crow this week because of that. When I read that, I was like, I hate naps. I, I think it's a waste of time. It's a waste of your life. Uh, like, it just, you know, like you can sleep when you're dead. There's stuff to do. Um, my wife loves naps. Like, can't live without a nap, a good nap. Some of you are taking a nap right now. And, uh, and I have to say, like, that's, that's actually scriptural. That, that's what Jesus did. So my... my uh, and, and it probably has something to do with my reliance on self versus reliance on God, you know. So even Jesus is humid. Like, even Jesus needed a nap. Like, so there's something in there about us and needing rest and all that kind of stuff. And the worst thing that happens is Jesus gets woken up from his nap. Why? Because his disciples think they're going to drown. It says, like, this was a real thing. It says they were in real danger. There was, there, there was real fear. And Jesus, who is incredibly cranky, like anyone woken up too early from their nap, says, where is your faith? Right? And then what's he do? He speaks a word and calms the sea. And the disciples say, who is this guy? The boat pulls to shore. Again, Jesus is on tour. It goes from story to story, teaching to teaching. It pulls ashore on the far side of the Lake Galilee, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee in the area of the Gerasene. And as soon as Jesus steps out of the boat, he's attacked by a naked homeless guy. I guess they didn't have the National Rescue Mission then. I don't know. Like, but it's a guy that is filled with unclean spirits is what, is what Scripture says. A naked guy living in a cemetery outside of town runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, son of God, son of the most high. Like this is one of the interesting things that always happens in scripture is always the evil, unclean spirits recognize Jesus for who he is, right? The disciples in the boat with Jesus, remember what their question was? Who is this man? But the unclean spirits know exactly who he is, Right? And you know they're not in a, in a Jewish territory at all. Jesus asked the, asked the unclean spirit, what is your name? And the, the unclean spirit says legion. Uh, a Roman legion would have been about 6,000 soldiers together. And we don't know if that's a reference to Rome and their kind of occupation at that time. It says the unclean spirit say we are legion. And the legion begs not to be sent out into the abyss, which is really interesting. Like, there's interesting questions around that. Instead, legion wants to be sent into a herd of what? Yeah, that's how you know they're not in a Jewish area, right? They get sent into a herd of pigs. I, I don't know if there were 6,000. We don't know how many, you know, but then what happens? This Jesus cast out 
exercises the unclean spirit, sends them into pigs, and the pigs do what? They drown themselves, which is weird because pigs can swim, right? But they drown themselves. And when the townspeople find out about it, what do they ask of Jesus? They come running to Jesus and they find the, the previous naked homeless guy sitting at Jesus' feet, which is weird. And they asked Jesus to leave. They commanded him, get out of here. Get out of this area. Why? Because they're, you're hurting our economy here. Right? And the, the man with the previous uh, unclean spirits begs Jesus to come with him. But Jesus sends him where? Do you remember this? He says, no, no, no. Go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. This is another one of those scenes in Luke that I want more information. I want on video what happened when that guy walked through the door of his house. Did they even recognize him? And Luke doesn't stop. Like, he just keeps going. So, oh, okay, Jesus has done this. Now he gets back in the boat. He goes back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when he gets there, large crowds welcome him. And a man named Jairus, a leader of a local synagogue, is there. And Jairus is troubled. Why? Do you remember? There's this weird section in Luke, beginning right here. He does this section of 12s. The, the number 12 shows up multiple times. Uh, Jairus is a synagogue leader. He had to eat some crow to ask for help from Jesus. But he shows up because his 12-year-old daughter is sick to the point of death. And he asks Jesus, help me, help me, help me. And so Jesus begins to go and helps Jairus' daughter, his 12-year-old daughter. And on the way, a woman comes out of the crowd and touches the hem of Jesus' uh, uh, robe. You remember this? And she's been struggling with a bleeding problem for how many years? It's not true. It's 12. 12 years. And Jesus says, hey, 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 power came out of me. Who did it? Who done it? <laughs> and he identifies this woman out of the crowd. And remember what he tells her, tells her. Your faith has made you well. And while he's distracted with this woman with bleeding, what's happened to Jairus' 12-year-old daughter? Remember? She is kaput. She goes from sick to deceased. And Jesus tells Jairus, hey, don't worry. Just have, remember, faith. And he goes and he tells the crowd of people that, that the, the 12-year-old girl, she's not really dead. She's just sleeping, which I'm sure got a good laugh, right? Because they know what dead is. You know, they may not have the internet or an EKG machine, but they know dead, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 don't worry. She's just asleep. And he raises her from the dead and then he goes on like this the stories just keep continuing like with with no apparent connection and then it says one day jesus called together his disciples he gave them power and to to cast out demons and to heal and then he sent them out to everyone to tell everyone about the kingdom of god and to heal the sick that's that's got to be a luke reference right remember luke is a what he's a doctor so they're sent to tell about the kingdom of God, but they're also sent to heal the sick. And they go out and they do this, and they, and they can't believe what happens. And they come back just a few verses later, 
to, to, to kind of report, and Jesus makes this time for he and his disciples to kind of go on a retreat together. Hey, let's go, let's decompress, let's spend some time praying, talking about what's happened and, and what's been done, and while they're away, what happens? <laughs> they don't get away. Crowds just follow them. They're trying to have this like important like planning time, decompression time, and still crowds of people followed them. And it says he welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God. And he, he healed those who were sick. And then it became late in the afternoon and uh, the disciples say, hey, you need to send these people home because uh, they're, they're going to grow faint. They're going to they're gonna be hungry. And Jesus in classic response is, just says, well, why don't you feed them? And uh, the disciples who don't even know, you know, the same ones who don't know who Jesus is, even though he calms the storm and all this kind of stuff, like they see his power and authority all the time. They say, you know, me, us, how are we supposed to do that? And then if you remember, there is this incredible miracle where Jesus blesses five loaves of bread and two fish. Remember what happens? And feeds how many? 5,000 at least. It it says 5,000 men, so who knows how many. And after everyone had eaten and everyone had had their fill, they collect baskets of leftovers. How many baskets? Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, a woman who suffers from bleeding for 12 years. He sends out 12 disciples. They collect 12 baskets. Who knows what's that, what that means? I'm not going to tell you. Go figure it out. <laughs> I'll, just leave that, I'll just leave that question hanging out there. Like, uh, let you go figure it out. Why use all these uh, repetitions of 12? So Jesus is on tour, teaching and, and doing miracles and calming storms and healing and feeding and, and all of this kind of stuff. And so the question is, like, I, all these teachings can stand by themselves and we can spend time on each one of them by themselves for sure. No question about it. But, but I think there's a thread that ties them together. And that's really what I want to talk about. Did you see it? What links all of these teachings together? I, I think Luke is on purpose putting these side by side, even though maybe they, they seem separate. He, 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 is, he is creating a common thread among them. Do you know what it is? Did you see it? Um, it's the magic kingdom. Go ahead and put that picture up there. You guys been to the magic kingdom? Uh, when I say magic kingdom, how many of you instantly know what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you just know. Uh, when I was a kid, there was like on, on Sunday nights, it was the Magic Kingdom, and there was always a show that came on, and we couldn't wait to watch it. Uh, this was way before DVRs, or this was like a turn in the, actually turn the knob to change the channel. Like, but the Magic Kingdom came on on Sunday nights, and we were super excited. Some of you have been to this kingdom. Have, have you been there? Have you been to the Magic Kingdom? Uh, what's your favorite ride? Tower of Terror, Pirates of the Caribbean. What else? Somebody else. Thunder Mountain. Is that even still there? Do they still have that? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, not the real one. So yeah, you you go to there's. Uh, is there still one in Europe? There's a there's a Magic Kingdom in Europe. There's a Disney in Europe. Uh, I heard they're building a new one in China. 
If you see that, I don't know how that's going to go over. Maybe, maybe it'll be good. California, Florida. Um, let me ask you this. When you walk into the magic kingdom, is there any doubt or question about where you're at? If I, if I blindfolded you and, and, and took you to, I kidnapped you and blindfolded you and took you to this place and then I, and I put you right in the middle of the magic kingdom and pulled the blindfold off and said, where are you? Would you, would you have any, you know, would you have to think pretty long about it? No, because it's, it's, it's everywhere in the Magic Kingdom. You know, it's, uh, it, it's on the trash cans, it's on the t-shirts, it's on the balloons, it's on, you know, like it, it's, it's everywhere. Everything says it. There, there's no chance you could mistake, you know, being somewhere else. All right, so uh, let me ask you this. Who's in charge in the Magic Kingdom? I love this picture because there's a statue. Uh, go back one slide. We'll talk about it. Uh, there's a statue right there of somebody holding the hand of a mouse. Who is it? Yeah, it's Walt Disney, right? Like he is the one, the, the founder, the godfather of this kingdom, right? He is the one. Uh, there's even a place where there's like... Magic Kingdom trivia, you know, there's like when you walk right in, there's a, there's a fire station, there's an apartment above the fire station that has a lamp that's always lit just for like uh, in memory of Walt Disney because that's where he stayed while he was there and he was engineering and coming up with this idea. And, and everything uh, about the Magic Kingdom came through this guy's head, right? It, everything had his stamp of approval on it. All right, so uh, go ahead and show that next picture. Who is in charge of the Magic Kingdom today? You guys know this guy? It's the CEO of Walt Disney, Bob Iger. Um, I looked up his salary. This has nothing to do with anything. $45 million a year. It is a magic kingdom indeed. Like, uh, like, whoo, like I'm, I, I want to be friends because um, I, I, I want stuff. <laughs> um, all right, so Luke is telling us all these seemingly like random stories back to back um, because he, and he's not telling us a story about a swamp in Florida, but, but he's telling us about a different kind of kingdom. He wants us to see a different kingdom, literally the, the kingdom of God. In, in uh, chapter 8, verse 1, I, th I think I have these, some of these slides in order. Like, it says, soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of ne nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the what? In verse 10, it says, uh, in the middle of this teaching about seeds, the good news being spread and scattered everywhere, he said, you are permitted to understand the secrets of what? The kingdom of God. In, in chapter 9, as soon as he sends them out, sends out his disciples, sends out the 12, he sent them out to tell everyone about, say it with me, the kingdom of God. In verse 11 of that same chapter, Jesus welcomed the crowd, even though he was on a retreat trying to spend time decompressing with his disciples. He welcomed the crowd and he taught them about the what? What is this magic kingdom? <laughs> you ever wonder? The best definition I've ever heard is, is a kingdom is a place where the king's will is realized. I know we've talked about this before. 
The kingdom is a place or a space where what the king wants done gets done. Are you with me? So uh, in Disney World and land, the place, uh, the place uh, where what Disney or Bob Iger wants done gets done. That's his kingdom, right? Are you with me? Like if he says, I want trash cans 15 feet apart, trash cans are going to be 15 feet apart, right? Because that's his kingdom. His will, his kingdom will is realized. It's not just, he doesn't say, hey, I want trash cans 15 feet apart and nobody does anything. No, when he says it, it actually gets done. And it's the same thing with the kingdom of God. Jesus even says it in his prayer, in his great prayer. He says, your kingdom come your will be what? Done. The kingdom of God is the place where what God wants done gets done. Are you with me? It is the place where God has authority. For example, authority to heal the sick. Authority to resurrect the dead. Authority to rebuke even wind and waves. It's an interesting thing. The, the word, the language he uses to calm the storm, to rebuke them, is the exact same language used when he cast legion out of the naked homeless guy. There's a great moment in this section, and, and, and I skipped it, but, but Luke adds it. In chapter 9, there's this great moment where Herod Antipas, so, so Herod is actually the king of this area of Galilee. Like, he's the boss. He's in charge. Uh, in the region of Galilee, what Herod wants done gets done. Are you with me? There's this great moment that Luke includes in chapter 9 where Herod is very, very confused, because he's hearing all of these reports of healings and baptisms and resurrections and all of this kind of stuff. And, and Luke almost kind of tongue-in-cheek records Herod's confusion because Herod is thinking, hey, this is my kingdom. Who is doing all this stuff? Uh, and, and even kind of in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, Luke says, you know, or Luke records that Herod's like, didn't I already kill this guy? And he's confused because in his kingdom, another kingdom will is being realized. Are you with me? So the question is, if, if these teachings, this series of teaching, Jesus on tour is teaching us about the kingdom of God, what is he trying to teach us? Would we recognize this kingdom if we saw it? A couple of things he teaches us about this kingdom. In, uh, in Luke, uh, let's go back to the very beginning. In, in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, let's, let's read this together. Look what it says. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his disciples with them. And then look at verses 2 and 3. Along with some women who had been cured by evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from, uh, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Uh, also was Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, keep going, and Susanna 
and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Like, I, I know maybe that doesn't seem that interesting to you, but, but you, this should be really, really interesting. Um, there's a group of women that are listed as companions, followers of Jesus, like with him. Um, and, and it's interesting, these women, you know, they've, uh, they've received some sort of healing. Le- maybe legions have been cast out of them. Uh, it, it's really interesting that Susanna is listed as Herod's business manager. That would have basically, who's the king of this area? Herod, right? And she works for him, but but she is basically like his his accountant. Like she is his investment banker, right? She's not his cupbearer like Nehemiah was. This is a woman of prominence, right? And wealth and authority. And she's with Jesus. Um, let me try to explain to you why this, this, this is so interesting. Uh, let's look at our own history. Um, how many signatures are on the Declaration of Independence? You guys know? Don't look it up. 56. Um, How many signatures are on our Constitution? How many people signed it? You're all just guessing, aren't you? Americans. Uh, I had to look it up to you. I don't know. Uh, 39. How many signatures were signatures of women? Zero. Right? Now, I have to be careful. Um, because I, I don't want to say, I, I don't want to make the implication at all that women weren't somehow involved or weren't, weren't important or weren't a part, of our, a part of our history. Right? But even a couple hundred years ago, like, they didn't get to sign their name. Right? Even a couple hundred years ago. Now think about this story of Jesus a couple thousand years ago. And Luke says, well, you know who was with, the, with Jesus? Well, there was disciples, but man, there was a whole lot of women with him too. And, and they weren't just nobodies, no names. Like the, these were women that were contributing in, in big ways to the cause. Even a couple of hundred years ago in, in our history, women were, at least at some level, excluded. But Luke makes a special point of including women. And, and when he does this, and maybe it doesn't phase us in our, in our kind of current context, but when he does this in Scripture, this would have caused an uproar. <laughs> this was big news. This is big time. You know, Jesus, you know, we know he includes, you know, sinners and tax collectors, you know, even the disciples are sent to tell everyone. In Acts, it's the message of God is sent to Jerusalem and Judea, which were expected places, but also to Samaria and the ends of the earth. Like, these are unexpected places. And I think what Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom, right, about the magic kingdom, 
is the kingdom of God is a place of inclusive belonging. You guys see that? Um, And I hate when people talk about the church as being super judgmental and condemning and exclusive. Because I think Jesus says, no, this kingdom, this kingdom is inherently inclusive. And that's good news. That everyone is invited. But he also teaches us that not everyone will accept the invitation. And that's really the heart of this teaching about uh, the seed, the, the sower and the seed, the farmer and the seed. He says, man, this, this good news about the kingdom is, is, is scattered out for anyone and everyone. It, it's not that the news is bad, it, right? That all of this is good seed. He said the problem is that sometimes it lands on people. whose soil isn't right. Sometimes this seed will fall on deaf ears. And that's where he uses this parable of the lamp, like to, he says, you know, he he says, I'm going to spread this good seed out to anyone and everyone. It's, It's an inclusive seed. And some people are even going to claim to have received this seed. But, Beware, because one day everything is going to come to light. It's, it's a promise of exposure. He, he says, I'm going to scatter this seed out, and some of you are going to claim to have received this seed. Some of you are going to appear to be a part of this kingdom, but really aren't. And he says, pay attention to how you hear. Because you can't just clasp on to this seed and say, oh, man, yeah, I'm a part of the kingdom of God, right? Because the family of God isn't isn't something you're just uh, born into. Remember what Jesus says, hey, this isn't just about, my family isn't just my biological family, my mother and my brothers, but my family are the ones who actually receive this seed, hear it, and do what? Obey. You can't get this thing. It's not possible for you to get this thing that I'm talking about and hide it under a bowl or hide it under a bush or hide it under your bed. If you get this thing, this kingdom that I'm talking about, then everyone is going to see it. And it's going to be evident in your obedience. So the kingdom of God is a place of, you know, uh, uh, inclusion. It's a place of inclusive belonging, but it's also a place of obedience. The kingdom of God is also a place where the, the currency of the kingdom of God is faith. Jesus sends out the 12, and what does he tell the 12 to take with them? You remember? I want you to go and preach the kingdom of God to everyone, and I want you to heal the sick. And I want you to take with you uh, a degree in theology and uh, a degree in public speaking and, oh, he says, I want you to take nothing. That's a step of faith, right? Like this whole thing is about faith. And then we have the example of Jairus' daughter. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. The woman suffering from bleeding, hey, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
So the kingdom of God is about, is about belonging and about obedience. And, and it's a place where, tri- where faith triumphs over fear, but it's also a place of provision and providence. Whether filled up with demons or bleeding for 12 years or dead or hungry like the 5,000, In Acts, when this kingdom is kind of coming to life, it says that the early church had all things in common. It was a place of generosity and kindness. And and, and the nice way, maybe, maybe the academic way of saying it is, the kingdom of God is a place where God's compassionate provision is realized. But, but the truth is, like maybe even a, a simpler terms, is that the kingdom of God has what you need. Do you see that? You're sick? I've got a perfect place for you. You're hurting. You're going through storms in your life. The kingdom of God has what you need. And God doesn't hold out on anyone. In Luke chapter 7, just a few chapters earlier, John's disciples, this is an interesting story. John's disciples show up at Jesus' door. John can't come. He's probably in prison. And his disciples show up at Jesus' door, and, and John the Baptist disciples, not Jesus' disciples, John the Baptist disciples show up at, to Jesus and say, we're here on behalf of John the Baptist, which I'm like, no, you're not. You know, <laughs> like, um, John the Baptist, I'm, I'm guessing he already had a pretty clear idea about who Jesus was. I think they're there for them, right? Have you ever done that? Do your kids do that? They ask questions for themselves and claim to be from somebody else. Does that happen? I think that's what's happening. John the Baptist's disciple show up and say, well, we've already got this figured out, but on behalf of somebody else, we're asking. And what is their question? Their question to Jesus is, Jesus, are you the one that's going to come and build your kingdom? Are you the one that's going to come and build the kingdom of God? And, and the way they ask that question is a very literal kind of asking. Uh, they literally want uh, <laughs> the magic kingdom in Florida. That's what they want. Uh, they want a castle. Uh, they want a drawbridge. They want a moat. Uh, they want a proper kingdom. They, they want a, a, a literal kingdom of, uh, of borders and watchtowers. And if you build this kingdom, then it's going to have its own army. It's going to have its own government. Are you with me? Like, it's going to have really cool balloons and your own website. It's going to have cups and t-shirts. Like, and when people walk into, like, it's going to have borders. Like, when people walk into the kingdom of God, they're going to know, okay, here I was in Nashville. Now, I'm in the kingdom of God. It's going to be a physical place. Are you the one that's going to come and build, just like Walt Disney did in in Florida, are you the one that's going to come and build the kingdom of God here with, with bricks and, and, and concrete. And Jesus says, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. What did he tell him? He says, this kingdom is a whole different kind 
of kingdom. God's kingdom <laughs> is it is not necessarily a physical kingdom. I know we even sometimes we look at churches and church buildings like, oh, that's God's kingdom. And Jesus, mm, I'm not so sure you need any of that. God's kingdom, I, I don't think is a physical kingdom, but that doesn't mean that it's an idealized kingdom. It, it doesn't mean that, that this kingdom somehow exists only in our hopes and dreams. Because that's not what Jesus is doing either, right? He's not just talking about this kingdom some other time, some other place that's, you know, hey, there's this magic fairyland. No, 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 that's not what he's, he doesn't say that either. He presents this whole different option. Uh, there, there's a great book by Halter and Smay. They talk about this idea. But, and, and they are the ones that, that kind of coined the language. God's kingdom, even though it doesn't have a castle, is still a very tangible kingdom. The kingdom of God that Luke presents, that Jesus is presenting, is a kingdom built and established here and now with our own hands. If I told you, I said, okay, I want you to go and build a fence in your backyard, you would know what to do, right? Well, I need boards and I need nails and I need a hammer and I would know how to build it and in the same way you build that fence, Jesus is saying, let me show you how to build the kingdom of God. It's still built with your hands. It's still this tangible thing. Um, but it happens uh, when you have your neighbors and coworkers around your table. It is this place of inclusive belonging. Uh, I was thinking, this is totally random, but I was thinking about uh, vaping. You guys know what vaping is? Uh, vaping is the weirdest thing in the planet to me. It is this thing that's kind of like smoking, but not really smoking, and you use these things that are like these electronic cigarettes. And uh, we were driving back from Birmingham the other day, and we, were, we stopped at a gas station, and there was a guy got out of his car, and he had this thing that looks like a little electronic flute thing, and it was blowing smoke out, or, but it's not smoke, it's vapor, which I don't know what that means either. Uh, and this, there's different flavors, and, and in my head, I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I don't understand. Nothing about this makes sense. But then it occurred to me, it's like, man, I, I, need, to, I need to make friends with some people who are, are vapors. Um, because I don't have any. But I, I, I want to know what, what is in the mind and the heart of, of someone who is, maybe some of you are doing this and I'm offending you. I, I hope I'm not. Um, because I, I'm thinking there's, there's also these shops that all they sell is stuff for vaping. Have you seen these? Like there's new shops. I, I'm going to, I, I tell you right now in front of God and everybody, I'm going to go to a vaping shop this week and meet some people. Just because. And it's going to be so awkward because they're going to say, what are you doing here? It's like, well, I'm a pastor. And then things are going to go downhill from there. But it's, um, but I want, I want vapors to know. Uh, is that even the right word? Is that what you call people? People who vape. I don't know. Uh, and, and I know we're, I know we're joking, but 
I, I want them to know that there is a kingdom for them. Really. That God's kingdom is for them. It is a place of inclusive belonging. And, and I'm going to go, this is going to be crazy. I'm going to invite them to come and bring their vaping stuff to church here next Sunday. So if that happens, just be ready. And if that happened here, would your immediate thought be, oh, inclusive belonging. I need to get to know this person. I need to wrap my arms. I need to have them over to my house. I, I need to find out what's going on in their heart and their life. Because that's tangible kingdom work. Right? I want you, in, on purpose, this week, as a part of a tangible kingdom, to get to know somebody who is completely different from you, on purpose, to be, be fascinated and interested about who they are. Just begin to ask questions. Not with some agenda of, oh, you're a vapor. Can I baptize you now? No, like it's... <laughs> but if this is a real thing, right? If what Jesus was doing is a real thing, then it's going to require real effort on our part to bring others in. Do you, think, do you think people right now that, that, are, are, that maybe struggle with an addiction, do you think they feel invited and welcome? Do you think they know that this, that this thing, this place is for them? Is the kingdom of God good news to them? Whose job is it to show them that the kingdom of God is, is actually good news? It's a tangible kingdom, a place of belonging. It's also a place of obedience. The Bible talks so much about hospitality and generosity. Man, I, th I think the kingdom of God is, is, is helping your neighbor move furniture. <laughs> I think the kingdom of God is, is stopping at a hospital to visit the sick or the hurting. I think the kingdom of God is in those little handwritten notes that some of you send me sometimes. Picking up your neighbor at the airport, maybe. Isn't that the kingdom of God? Not just something that happens in our brain, but, but something that feels real and has a touch to it. If we started using the currency of the kingdom of God, what if, what if we use faith instead of fear? Everyone else is in a panic, and what does Jesus do? He takes a nap. What if we, out of, out of that center place in us, instead of exuding worry and anxiety, what if we exuded peace and calm? And Paul says in, in Romans, in chapter 14, he says, the kingdom of God is gentleness and peace born out of the Spirit. Gentleness and peace born out of the Spirit of God. What if we embodied faith? What if we embodied the, the provision of God? That, that whole idea of what happened that day when 5,000 were fed, it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't, man, wouldn't it be awesome if God fed these people? It was such a tangible, real thing. It was, it was seen in a massive act of generosity of compassion. Isn't that tangible? Isn't that a tangible kingdom? 
Maybe there's uh, people you know right now that, that are in storms. <laughs> maybe physical, but, 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 but maybe just emotional storms. Man, I, I bump into these people all the time. You know, they're like, they're, they're the little cartoon character with the dark cloud over them. They're always in a storm of life. What would happen if you just came in and walked in and spoke words of peace and calm over them? Do you have the power, the ability to calm storms? To set the captives free, to, to find the lost, to help the blind see, to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to pardon, to forgive, to be a place of hope. I invite the worship team to come back up. Your homework uh, on the way home today is to really ask yourself, <laughs> everywhere Jesus says, the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, the, the question you need to ask yourself is, is to you, in your life, in your context, in your place right now, is the kingdom of God really good news? Is it? Because if it's not, we need to talk. <laughs> this thing is supposed to be good news. Not because it's just a dream, but because it's tangible. Because it's real. And it's here, even now. Um, you can do his will today. Right? You can do the will of God today. Uh, what God wants done, you can get done today, right? And where what God wants done gets done, what is established? The kingdom of God. So I challenge you to advance his kingdom here and now in your own life. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of uh, communion, and uh, we've got tables set up around the room. It's an important time for us. We think it's, uh, we think it's really important. The, we have the elements of communion there, and, and maybe if you have questions about, hey, what does this mean, or what is this all about, I'll just be at the back. I'd be happy to talk to you about the meaning and the significance of this time. Um, it, it's an alignment piece for us. Maybe you have questions about, about baptism or even about our church. We'd love, to, we'd love to field and field some of those questions, maybe respond. Maybe there's just stuff going on in your life. Maybe you've been living a part of a different kind of kingdom uh, and are ready to try to figure out what does this good news mean. That, man, we'd love to partner with you, open God's word, share with you a little bit about what that means to you. So let me say a prayer, and then I'll give you a chance to respond and commune together. Father God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word, for its power, for what it does. Uh, I pray that these, uh, these words on these pages are, are more than just ideas in, in, our, in our mind. More than just, oh, wouldn't it be great if. But Father God, that there would be a piece of this that we cling to and grab, grab onto. That, that uh, uh, maybe it doesn't happen with brick and mortar, but that your kingdom would be built with our own hands. That our church would, in this community, be, be an outpost of your kingdom. That everywhere we go, like your kingdom would be advanced. Your kingdom come. Your 
will would be done. So Father God, we thank you for your son Jesus and his example. His teaching is about the kingdom. God, let us be bold and follow it. We offer you this time and this space. We do this in remembrance of your son Jesus. And it's in his name that everyone together says,